G'day Crypto Goers, I'm Adam Stokes. Welcome back. This is part four of my interview with Synth from Skycoin. Welcome also to all my new subscribers and anyone who wants to join the crypto family here at the Adam Stokes YouTube channel. Hit that like, subscribe and bell. It really does help me appease the YouTube gods. Also, if you've got any questions that you want me to hit Synth up with in my next interview, leave them down in the comments below. And if they're of value, I'll certainly put them forward and make a shout out to you as well. Let's get back into it. We are picking up where we were last time, which is around the 50, 60 minute mark. Let's get into it. And everything that you've just described with the AI, does that mean that could compete with the IOTA token, with the IOTA blockchain? IOTA is very innovative uh, in terms of, they use a directive case cyclic graph instead of a blockchain. And I think it has some advantages for payments. I don't think you can execute smart contracts on IOTA and I don't think they'll ever get that working. So what we did was we, we, we tried to do, yes, it's definitely a competitor, but we have a different solution and I think our solution is better. It's a hundred times better. I think their solution is a dead end, but my personal opinion, but you know, it's Mate, the, uh, the, the capabilities of this coin, it just seems endless. So last year, sorry, the year before last, when I did my deep dive into your, uh, coin and into the company into the background of it one of the things that came up I was worried about scope creep I was worried about so yeah. many different things doing uh, taking the energy away but from what I can understand is that you're very well resourced you're very well and uh, both financially and and humanly that is you've got the, the money and the people power to do what you what you can uh, need to do have you found as I mentioned in my review I I actually thought initially, oh, it's too much scope creep. But then I thought, well, hang on. It, it all makes sense because it all links together. It all links together because it, th this is the future. It's a 2.0 of everything we do. What, what has been your biggest challenge with all the areas that you have? Skywire, Skynet, Skyminer, Skyhour, Skynodes, Wallets, Messenger, CX, CXO, Kitty Cash, CXFX. Mm -hmm. What's been your toughest one, mate? So... What, what I found is if you take someone and you give them a billion dollars and you say, do this, build a house, can they do it? Like, no, because they don't know, um, for instance, you have to know how to manage people. How do I hire people? How do I, how do I know if this guy's good, that guy's not for construction? Um, a million people will tell you, yes, I can lay a concrete foundation, but how many, you, you pour the concrete and you find out the rebar was wrong and they, they did it the, the wrong length and the building's supposed to be 12 meters but it's like, uh, you know, 12.5, the, the concrete slab's the wrong length, it's not the right thickness, they didn't compact the dirt under the slab before they poured it, and so now the building's tilted. And you, when you actually get into the real world, um, there's a thousand or a million things that can go wrong, and so for me, I learned a lot. I, it would be impossible for me to, to say everything that I've learned, but uh, one of the things is, how do you know if someone's good or bad? How do you manage people? How do you take someone in an organization with like 300 people, throw them in there and get them working quickly and productively? How do you uh, minimize overhead so you don't have a meeting with like 120 people? You know, if your company, if you have to get permission from 120 people to do anything, nothing is going to get done because 120 people have 120 different opinions. So if you want, um, another thing is financial management. If we have Bitcoin going from $1,000 to 15,000 and crashing, if you basically scaled up your, hired a bunch of people, paid them huge salaries, and then the market crashes, you're gonna wipe out all the money that you saved within a few months and you're gonna go under. 
So how do you manage a company? How do you do financial flow management when the market is like a roller coaster? Uh, I, I've been through six or eight market cycles, so I, I sort of created a system for that. For human resources and management, we're always upgrading. And one of the rules that I have, which has worked very well for me, is do what you can with what you have. So if I have a programming language developer, I'm going to do programming. If I can hire hardware developers, I'm going to do hardware. If I'm going, if I, uh, there's some stuff we should do that we have to do, but it's not getting done because we don't have the resources. And if we know that we need to get those resources and we'll get them eventually. But in the meanwhile, we can't just stop the train for, because we don't have that thing going, right? You have to, you, if I have the resource to do this, we do it. And one of the reasons Skycoin is so successful is that the investors, they gave us money and the owners, the, 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 the Skycoin management didn't go out and buy houses and hookers and blow it on blow and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And we didn't spend it on marketing. If they, if they gave us $100,000, I went out and I developed a new hardware product. I developed a hardware wallet. I developed, and then that, that $100,000 brought in another $3 million of investment. And then that 300, that 3 million, I invested a hundred thousand in 30 projects, 15 or 20 of those projects failed. And 10 of those projects, people look at it like, wow, what did they do? What is that? What can I buy that went, you know, they're just like go crazy. And then they throw out, then some guy shows up, I want to invest 20 million. And then it gets to the point where the question is, how do you, this money, you, you, you have a company, there's no product, there's no revenue, there's no customers at the beginning, but it's a financial product. They say, okay, if this succeeds, they know that this is going to be a top 10 coin. And they know, okay, to get in the top 10, what does the price have to be? And they say, well, it has to go to $500. It has to go to $800. And they say, they have 15 things. And as long as they get three of them done, they're going to be in the top 10. And that, that's their, their attitude. So I, I basically diversify the risk. Instead of saying we just have Filecoin or this or that or just smart contracts or this, we were able to basically have one play in every major area of blockchain so that no matter what happens, we're going to win. I don't need to, um, you don't need to hit 15 home, run, home runs, basically. You only need to do one or two things. But at the same time, the, the way that our management system was set up, if you're doing one thing, you can do it very quickly. But if you're doing 15 things, um, you have to have a certain management structure and it doesn't allow you to control how fast they get done. So something might take three years, but I don't know at the onset how long it'll take. When I start that project, it'll start moving and moving and moving and we keep it moving. And we know as long as it's moving, we'll get to the goal. But how the duration and the deadline, how long it'll take, we have no idea. But we'll get there eventually. So this, uh, what we did was we, we chose a different management structure for pipelining it, uh, pipelining the product development and pipelining the, the software development. And for Skycoin, we don't have like one giant group of developers. We have a CX team, a Skywire team, a Sky Messenger team, a KittyCast development team, a CXO team, a consensus team. And each within the team is only two to three, four, five people max. And each of them is only working on that one part of the project. They don't need to communicate very much with the other parts of the project or even know what's going on because their responsibility is this. So we, we chose the development model of what Apple did when Steve Jobs was running Apple because that worked very well because it, it allowed you to do 30 or 40 or 50 projects in parallel without everyone in the company having to fight each other, you know, and argue with each other and be involved in every single decision. Now with, with CX, what's crazy, people say we have features, uh, you know, scope creep right now. 
um, they haven't seen anything because we just launched CX Labs uh, a week ago or two weeks ago. We have 200, so we launched CX, we launched the CX book, we launched uh, the CX tracker so you can see all the CX blockchains online of all the developers developing CX apps. We created a Telegram channel, we created a bounty program for CX development, and we have 120 developers developing CX apps in two weeks. And we haven't even started the hackathons and we haven't started the college ambassador programs and we haven't even started training up, like let's train 3000 developers this year. Let's have each developer do one app, you know, and the best apps of those will fund them to, to a full app. We'll build a team around them of two to three people and they'll work for the next two years to release a consumer app. So I actually just on CX, I might have 120 apps being released in the next six months. I might have a thousand apps. So this is what Ethereum did is they let the developer develop whatever they want. They supported the best projects by investing in their ICO. Consensus invested in the ICO, the best projects. And they developed the biggest development network and they took over the whole space. And we're just copying what Ethereum did. So we need to, in terms of management structure, like how do you manage 300 apps? How, I can't, how would I even remember the name of 300 applications, it, it, it just is crazy. But um, somehow it just it just works. Which it country just, uh, you need to work best? You're quite international, obviously. Where where are you finding on the, on the global scale? Which country is helping you with uh, development, accommodation, so to speak, uh, the movement of people, the storage of uh, knowledge? and as well as paying people fair wages, where, where's the best place to operate, would you recommend? I think that if we were in LA or New York, we'd be broke in two months, because yeah. <laughs> really all your money goes to rent, taxes, overhead. So we really try to, for development, if, if I, it's always by the person. So if I see some guy in Russia or Ukraine, and he graduates with a math PhD and he's broke, and I can grab that guy up and he wants to work 80 hours a week, I'll grab, you know, it's great, I'll take him. We, we take whoever we can, uh, people who want to work, but if you look at New York and some of these people, they, they have a lot of money from their parents, their parents bought them a house, they have a girlfriend, they need to party, they can't work on the weekends, you know, they, they don't, their life is easy, they're, they're very privileged, but you look at someone in Russia and they're like, if they don't work, they starve to death. So um, what I chose, I think a lot of the countries for getting developers and hardworking people, you can get them a lot. I wouldn't, there's certain countries I wouldn't use. And this, and, um, but we're really global. Like if I find a good person, it doesn't matter what country they're in, we will take that person. And um, I think China has been very good for the hardware development and supply chain. There's nothing like what, in terms of the, the getting a PCB board in two days or getting something manufactured. There's no way that we could do this in the United States or Europe or uh, it would just be impossible. It would just be there's a, impossible. Even the companies that you, you buy parts from in the United States are buying them from China. China controls the whole electronic supply chain in a way that people can't even understand. It's impossible to produce consumer electronics outside of China. It's just impossible. Um, and so for China, for CNC machines and metal and laser cutting and uh, motors and components and rare earth metals and like neodymium magnets and all, all the things that we need, drone parts, uh, you know, telecom equipment, 
China is basically the only country that we're able that you can do this in. For the software development, we just have people all over the world, and um, each in some project teams are like in Europe, and some project teams might, uh, you know, all the people might move to Thailand or something. Uh, it, it just it just depends. Um, you raise a good point about the global economy. I, when I was developing my video sharing site, uh, what I achieved through India remotely was yeah. beyond comprehension. The the budget I looked at in any, if you will, first world country was very high, five to six figures. And I got the whole lot done in, in very low four figures. And the, the quality, the work ethic was outstanding. And you can see the, the problem of the kind of first world privilege in many cases. If, if I can work a 40 hour week instead of a, an 80 to 100 hour week, most people will choose to take the 30 to 40 hour week. And this is where it pushes projects like yours and even mine to a smaller scale into the international community, which sort of brings me back to you, since you're, you're young, you're educated, you're so motivated. Where are you getting all this energy from? I don't know. It's, uh, I'm basically doing what I want to do. And a lot of times the, like I decided one time I wanted to do hardware and the people were crazy. Like we have to finish this. We have to finish that. You have to blockchain, blah, 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 blah. And I started to do just, I started the hardware office. I started hiring interns. I started getting 3D printers, CNC machines. We started making PCB boards. Now we have 30 hardware products. And at the beginning for the first year, they didn't, they didn't understand at all how it integrated into our ecosystem. But I said that, you know, this blockchain is going to move out of software. It's going to move into the real world. It's going to move into AI, robotics, IoT, sensors, motors, controllers, communication. And that the blockchain doesn't matter unless it has an impact on the real world. And so I, I saw that this was going to happen. And so we, we started developing our first hardware product, which was amazing. We had like a six month, six year waiting list on the first product we released. And now we're releasing, we have 30 more products in the pipeline. And, and it's just crazy because I have, a lot of times we don't choose what we do. Like uh, I, I've developed one thing that a customer will come in, like we had a government and they want to, like a border surveillance system to track like animals and people and vehicles moving across this huge border that they don't have any surveillance, they don't have any towns or any infrastructure, any electricity, but they want to know who's moving in and out of this border. So they come to us and they said, Oh, you got, you know, we have cameras, but we don't have a network and we need this network over. And it was, it was like, uh, I forget the number, I'm going to say the wrong number, but it's like 12,000 or 24,000 square kilometers. And suddenly, you know, a huge contract of 24,000 square kilometer, you know, basically rural broadband project drops on us. And then we have to figure out what do we have to do to get this project done? And, and it means there's no electricity. So we have to power our networking equipment on solar panels and we have to have batteries and they have to have self-reporting and they have to have this. And so then that produces four or five other products. And just for that project, we might have to hire 600 people just to do that one project because it's like a hundred, it's a $150 million contract. And that is an infrastructure contract and it's a small, it's small. So you say, Oh, $150 million. It's huge. You know, and especially our market cap is like 20, 30 million right now. We get contract looks like it's going to be 150 million and it's five times our market cap. And, but that's the small project. They say, Oh, if you could do this one, we have 30 more. And this is, that's the test project to see, like, are, you know, do we want to work with you as a partner? Can you get a dot? Can you get the stuff done fast enough? So I've had a lot of crazy meetings where 
I came into the meeting and I said, our software does this, our hardware does this. And they said, can you do asset tracking? And I said, yes, in theory, we could use Skywire for asset tracking. And they said, okay, uh, can you build us a satellite? I'm like, why do you need a satellite? He's like, because we have this rocket and it's only one third full and we want to do a down, you know, and blah, 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 blah. And so now we're okay. So now we have a free satellite, we have a free rocket and they want us, they want to do a demo and they want to, you know, satellite in orbit so they can track, you know, position of junk. And this is the pilot, you know, it's the pilot, this is the test is, you know, and so I, I've gone into some crazy, crazy meetings and 90% of the meetings don't have follow-up. And then with the government and corporate work, it's actually very slow. But basically you go into this meeting and there's nothing they don't want. They say, okay, we have this, you want it? Yeah, we have this, you want it? Yeah, I will take, we want that too. Can you do position tracking? Like, yeah, okay, we'll take that too. Can you, uh, can I put this on a drone? Yeah, okay, okay, can you get, go get drones then? Oh yeah, oh, we'll work on a satellite. Uh, probably, we can try it. It's like, okay, great, we got a satellite. Can you, uh, can you, well, can we put this, I'm going to have some guy ask me, can we put it on a submarine? Can we put it on a drone? And so as soon as we, we did the like rural broadband project, we, we talked to the guy, he introduced us to another guy and they want the Skywire on a naval drone to, to do like ocean monitoring or dolphin monitoring or some like, they're doing an ecological monitoring project where they're going to put all these IOT sensors on an ocean area and they don't have a, a data network to basically uh, get the sensor data back to the, to the control center. So they're asking us, can you provide us a data network? And I said, yeah. So then, um, and then what, if we do that project, then it's gonna be something else. So a lot of the times, once you have the basic thing working and you go to the customer, they just ask you for, they, okay, we've got 150 million, but it's for ocean drones. So go build us some drones, you know, things like that. And, and that's, Every time I've gone, every time I've gone to a meeting with a customer for software consulting, the customer doesn't know what they want and what they need is something different than what you have and you have to build it for them. So you say, can you do this? You say, yeah, we can do this, this, this. And if they like the plan, they give you the money and then you do it. So this is, uh, it's really getting out of control. It's like, some days I feel like it's like the IBM, we're like becoming the IBM of blockchain. I had, uh, I had, um, I don't know if I could talk about this. Like I had the, the Catalonian separatist movement message me on Telegram, like the second head guy and he creates a private chat. He's like, don't tell anyone about this. I'm like, who are you? Why, why do you want to talk to me? What do you want? He's like, we're from Catalonia and blah, 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 blah. You know, the, the president of the Catalonian separatist movement who was like arrested in Germany. Yeah. In Spain. And we had, uh, we had uh, some guy from Venezuela who wanted us wanted a blockchain for the Venezuelan government. And I'm like, fuck that. I don't want I don't want a CIA coming after me. No, I'm not going to work with Venezuela. We had, uh, I had one guy ask me, could this be used in Iran? I'm like, what's going on in Iran? And he's like, Oh, they're, they're protesting and the government's shutting off the internet. Can we go, can we go help them? Uh, can we help spread freedom and democracy in Iran? I'm like, yeah, okay, let's do it. You know, you have like these just people like just running around like uh, um, I had uh, just, you, you don't really, we're, we're entering this crazy period where the, if you look at, if you look at France, there's people rioting every day now for almost a year. They're burning things, they're rioting, they don't like the government Yellow and things. it's spreading throughout Europe. They, we're in a period of social instability. We're in a period where there's a lot of debt in the economy and the total amount of debt exceeds world assets. 
And what it means is there's not enough assets on earth to pay down the debt. And when this happens, it means the debt's worthless. So these people sit on a billion dollars of assets, but the assets are not physical assets, they're not farms, they're not houses, they're not factories producing things. They're just sitting on a pile of debt that they say is worth trillions of dollars, but the debt is worthless. It's worthless, it can't be paid. So we're gonna go through this period of, uh, and the other thing is uh, no one has any money because they're all, all the money is going to the debt, paying the debt. And we're going through a period of social instability where the taxes are too high, the governments have a very low trust rating, everyone is fighting each other. Um, and the, we're, and what, what's happening is the society, when it hits these crises, they relocalize. So there was, a, there was some guys at the Club of Rome and they had some meeting and they're discussing what the future of the earth is gonna be. And they say, we have this much milk production, this much meat production, this much energy resources, we have this much land, and this is our population. And they say uh, the United States has 6% of the population and consumes 50% of the world's resources. And they say this can't go on forever. So it's gonna happen, and they said the first world, Vietnam, Thailand, India, are growing at 15% per year. And their income is gonna keep going up and up and up, and they're gonna keep consuming more and more resources, and we cannot stop them from developing at this point. So they said, here's how many people we have. We have the United States consuming 50% of the resources and there's 6% of the population. What if these other countries like China, India, uh, you know, uh, Thailand, what if these countries reach the US standard of living? How, what kind of, what is the milk production we're gonna need globally? Mm -hmm. What is the protein production? How much steel are we gonna need? How much aluminum are we gonna, are we need? How much coal are we gonna have to burn? And what happened with, is crazy because when China and India started building all these coal power plants to industrialize, there were fish in Northern Canada that were dropping dead from heavy metal pollution because of Chinese coal power plants. So they said, okay, yeah, China can run their power plants, but uh, if we let everyone do this, everyone's gonna die. All the, everything's just gonna die because of the, the pollution level. Um, and, <laughs> and so, this is, um, the heavy metals rain down, they accumulate and they don't go away. They just sit there forever. They don't evaporate, they don't decay, they just accumulate. And they try to say, oh, can we explain this to the public? And the public doesn't give a shit. They just want iPads, they want iPhones, they want free stuff. They don't give a shit if the earth becomes completely uninhabitable at all. They don't care, they just like, give me more stuff. I want more stuff now. Give me free this stuff. Is, this is so, where we're operating in market failure, not just financially operating in market failure, but environmentally. You raise a, a really good example about the amount of resources used by America comparative to the amount of resources used in the world. And of course, this is no attack on America. The uh, yeah. good people just, and what I lived in America for two years, right? And what I actually found living in America is that America comparative to Australia was no real different to America, which is like Australia in the future. And that is yes. many countries, just, <laughs> for countries that sort of hate, you know, the American way, my um, breakthrough going to uni there was, it's not that it's America, it's that it's humans and that humans that have yeah. a lot of money and resources, this is the path that they can typically go down. Now, I just want to touch quickly, if I can, since you mentioned before, if you will, rogue state, if rogue states as such want to use the technology of the blockchain and the power of the blockchain, and they come across good people who won't work with them out of morals or any ethics that they've got. They said, look, look we're, we're not going to get involved with what you're doing. I'm wondering, is there 
uh, the example is this uh, many years ago i couldn't build a web page because i didn't have the technology yes. and i'm not a programmer but now i can simply go to one of many sites and build my own web page i'm wondering with what you've created is it possible for me or someone who's actually a programmer mediocre programmer or a reasonable programmer to learn cx then anonymously create a blockchain of whatever they want on the sky 